a sinner, but I came up free. Now I stand home before the King of Kings. I'm so Amen. Would you keep clapping for Jesus? 
Amen. We just sung about the greatest name known revealed to man. What's the name of the Father? Shout it out loud. What's the name of the Son? And what's the name of the Holy Ghost? Are you glad you know his name today? Are you glad you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you glad when they put you down a wet sinner, you didn't dry sinner, you didn't come up a wet sinner, you came up with your sins remitted? Erased, washed, dipped in the blood of the Lamb, never to be remembered no more. It doesn't matter how bad you were, how ugly you were, what you did, what you said. When you went down in Jesus' name and you came up, they're cast as far as the east is from the west. And it doesn't matter what the lying devil tells you, been whispering, bringing a voice in your head, it's been forgiven. And when he forgives, he forgets. And God doesn't have a case of amnesia. He doesn't have bad memory because he's the ancient of days. But the Bible said he chooses to remember not. And when we went down in Jesus' name, the old man perished. And we came up new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're people of the name. We've got something to be proud about. I said, we're people of the name. We've got a whole lot to be proud about today. Amen. 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 What a wonderful presence of the Lord we feel yet again here in the tabernacle. And so good to be with senior pastor and sister Feld and their family and all the extended church family. What an honor and privilege it's been to be able to worship together with you and to try and be a blessing for you and bring the word of the Lord. Did you bring your Bibles today? Amen. If you did, would you turn with me to the book of Acts, one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. I love the Acts of the Apostles. Because when you've been baptized into the body like we have, it's not just a textbook of the way things once were. But we find in the book of Acts, we find prescription, we find outline, we find holy authorization for the way church should be today. Amen. There was healing in the book of Acts, and I believe there's healing in the house of God tonight. I don't know what you came and what your need is this evening, but I felt while we were worshiping the one true God that if you need healing tonight, you can leave this place having received healing virtue flow through your body. Amen. You may be in therapy. You can leave tonight not needing a therapist any longer because the name of Jesus we just worship. The name of Jesus we just magnify, not that we can make his name any greater, but when we worship, his presence is attracted to us. And by comparison, the great God that we serve and worship, your problem shrinks in his presence. Amen. Cancer, I believe, is disappearing in his presence. I believe diabetes can be dissolved within his presence. I believe high blood pressure can. You don't need prescription drugs. You need his presence. I believe... That God can do in a moment what the doctor said. Well, you're going to have to live this way. You're going to have to adjust. I believe in his presence in a moment. Anything can happen. I believe there's healing virtue. In fact, if you need healing, before we continue, would you raise your hands? God sees you and knows where you're at and knows what the condition is. And in a moment can do it. Holy Ghost, I pray the prescription blood of Jesus Christ be applied upon the need as they exist today. I pray healing virtue be extended. Before we continue in this service, I pray the testimony of your work would go forth, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We believe it, God. We believe it. If you believe it, would you put your hands together one more time and help me thank God for the work he just did in the moment. Maybe I'm a bit naive, but I've been serving a God who's been too faithful to me to doubt that he can do the impossible. 
I've, I've had my back up against enough walls and have him bail me out to know that, that he's faithful and that he hears me when we pray and when we cry. Amen. Acts chapter 6, we'll hasten. We'll read the first five verses this evening. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Thank you again, all the faithful saints of Bell Glade who lent your ministry to the Rock Church in West Palm this afternoon. And uh, mindful, you probably forfeited a nap to be a blessing, and so we'll try not to keep you too long. But how many want to hear from the Lord again this evening? I want to be fed yet again. Jesus, help us today. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, uh, if you see me glaring down, I'm just having a hard time reading my notes. Um, but Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, said, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, everyone say revival. There arose a murmuring. You can expect wherever God begins to pour out revival, there's, there's going to be murmuring in the camp. Somebody's going to be unhappy. Well, the music's too loud. Well, it's too crowded. It's too hot. The air conditioning can't handle it. That's just inside the camp. There's going to be murmuring where there's revival. But there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. In this specific case, there was a legitimate complaint that was brought to the apostles' attention. And so, as we read in verse 12, we discover that the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, verse 3, Brethren, look ye out among you and find seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Can you say praise the Lord? Verse 4, But we, the apostles, said, will continue to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5, And the saying, what saying? You find seven people that are capable, qualified, of good report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom to run the business of making sure the widows in the church are taken care of. And the ministry will continue to spend their time in preparation and prayer and in fasting. This saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now, Stephen wasn't the only one they chose. They also chose, the Bible said, Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Annas. And we really don't know much else about the balance, six of the seven who were chosen, if anything, really, of Philip, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. But we do read a little bit, if you continue on in your own devotion in the book of Acts, you discover a bit more about the life of this man, Stephen. Would you say Stephen? And we know that Stephen was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. And Stephen has become one of my personal heroes in the New Testament, and I'll, with God's help, explain why. But I want to preach with the help of the Holy Ghost for a little while about the gift that is in you. The gift that's in you. You don't have to worry about what God gave to your brother, to your sister. God gave you enough to get through. God gave you just a uh, He knew how much you needed, and he gave what he gave you on purpose, with a purpose. He has a plan. I want to preach. Will you help me preach tonight about the gift? Everyone say the gift. That is in you. He didn't shortchange you. He didn't deprive you. He didn't favor someone over you. But if you're in God's family, he's given you a gift. 
Amen. Would you help me pray one more time before we get into the word of the Lord this evening? Father, thank you for your presence that we already feel. I pray that you would anoint your word. I pray that you anointing would be upon scripture. I pray it would communicate with fervency, with passion, God, and clearly what it is that you want to say to your church today. I pray your anointing, your sense, your presence change lives. We believe you to do the work that you've begun and you promised. Your faith in your Amen. And everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. And Paul wrote to his son in the gospel, Timothy, in the first uh, epistle to Timothy, chapter 4, and verse, verses 11 through 15, he said, and you may be seated this evening, thank you for standing in honor of the word, but Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, these things command and teach. And he proceeds to outline what it is that he wants his um, prodigy, if you will, his son in the gospel to be sure to continue over the course of his ministry. He said, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. And to be clear, Timothy was perhaps by comparison a young man just beginning his apostolic ministry, but by no means, as best as we can tell, was not a teenager. He was an adult, but Paul instructed him to be an example of the believer. And then he proceeds to prescribe how exactly you and I today provide an example of the believer in 2012. He said, if you're going to be an example of the believer, you can't just say you're a Christian on Sunday and then act in a contradictory manner, the balance of the week. But he said, if you're going to be an example of a true believer, then your word and your conversation, your charity, in other words, the, the love that ebbs from your heart and your willingness to give has got to coincide with the profession of your faith and he said Timothy your spirit your faith has got to be pure if you're going to provide an example of the believer and furthermore you and I by taking heed to the Apostle Paul's writings also have the privilege of being able to prevent people's ability to spite us whether it be because of your age or whether it be because of the area of town you hail from or whether it be your newfound faith or tenured faith, believing and serving Jesus Christ, you and I can prevent people's ability in great measure from spiting us over the gospel if we'll continue to provide an example of the believer. I was talking to a young man, a relatively new convert. He's been coming probably about a year and a half now faithfully. brings his small child with him. His wife does not serve the Lord yet, and quite honestly, has been spiteful of his faith. And in a low valley uh, in his walk with God, he came to me looking for counsel and for advice and direction. And under the, the unction of the Holy Ghost, I felt to tell him that the best example he could provide, the very best testimony and witness he could present to his unsaved spouse is not one that he could articulate with words, but rather I said, my brother, the best testimony you could provide is continue to be the very best husband at home that you can be. And though your wife is yet to come through the waters of baptism and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, I said, you put your arm around her and before you go to sleep for the night, you tell her you love her and you make sure she knows that you're going to get up in the morning, you're going to roll your sleeves up, go to work, and the bills are going to be paid on time. I said, the greatest testimony and the greatest witness as a believer and the gospel of Jesus Christ you could provide is not one that you could speak with your mouth, but it's one that you present with your lifestyle. The greatest witness we can provide in many cases beyond 
inviting someone to church or handing them a church card because oftentimes people today are cynical about religion, about Christianity, and they're looking for something beyond the surface, beyond just the outside and what's presented. And believe you me, if you are living in the same world that I am, people are watching our lifestyle. And perhaps that's why the writer said that we are epistles that are known and read of all men. The world's tired of Christians that profess Christianity and claim to be followers and disciples of Christ, but, but the evidence of their lifestyle doesn't match up. It doesn't substantiate. It doesn't back up what they profess with their mouth. And as a result, we find a great host of Christians labeled as hypocrites. But the Apostle Paul told his son in the gospel, he said, if you want to prevent people from being able to spite you, he said, sometimes it's not going to be the words you say, but it's going to be your, con it's going to be your conduct. It's going to be your behavior. It's going to be your lifestyle. So Paul told Timothy, he said, continue till I come and give attendance to reading. Everyone said reading. To exhortation and to doctrine. And here's where we derive our subject matter this evening. Verse 14, Paul tells Timothy, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. And this morning we felt led to preach about amazing grace and the gift of grace and the gift of God's spirit and the call that comes with it. But Paul wrote to his son in the gospel in Timothy and he said, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Verse 15, Meditate upon these things. In other words, he's telling his son in the gospel provide an example of the believer and don't forsake the gift that God gave to you and meditate upon the things that I'm writing to you but don't just sit cross-legged and meditate and bury yourself in the books in the back office somewhere he said but give thyself holy w-h-o-l-l-y entirely Paul said give thyself holy to them to what to reading to exhortation and to doctrine that thy profiting everyone said profit may appear to all if you've ever run a business or spent time working for somebody if you're a good steward a good business manager you want to realize a profit and God expects a profit he expects a return on investment on the gift that he's given to every single one of us to everyone has been given a measure of faith and I believe that God has a level of expectancy he, there's an anticipation it's a waiting for a return on the investment that he's made in every single one of us when we receive the baptism of the holy ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues we receive the spirit of giftedness charis we touched on briefly this morning and there are multiple gifts of the spirit but i believe that there are other gifts there are specific gifts that we only receive from the spirit through prophecy and that are confirmed by the laying on of the hands of the ministry and i have bible for this uh, quickly to chase a rabbit to give you an example, did you know that the word poetry and prophecy come from the same root word? In other words, there's a diversity of gifts. There's different ministration, but there's but one spirit, the, the apostle said. And there's a number of gifts. God, God has enabled you to survive your life experience and the testimony of your family history or your background or, or the testimony of where he brought you from is all part of the fabric that God has woven on purpose that he intends to use for his glory can you say amen? amen but prophecy gifts of the spirit come through prophecy and are confirmed by the laying on of hands but i don't believe that prophecy sometimes we misunderstand what prophecy is and we expect 
kind of an ooga-booga spirit to, to come in the house. And, and, and it, it requires uh, an evangelist, uh, an itinerant preacher, if you will, that comes through town who specializes in this area of ministry. And I'm not denigrating that. And I, I hold that office in high respect. But prophecy is not only predictive. Prophecy is not only the foretelling of the future. You know, prophecy said is, is the intent of the ministry of prophecy is to either provide blessing or judgment to the body. But I'm afraid that prophecy and, it, and the end result of judgment and blessing from God's perspective is always to bless God's people and to provide direction. It's never to condemn. It's always to save. But I'm afraid that if we knew the future, that wouldn't always be in our best interest. Are there any honest folks in God's house today that that will, will attest with me that if you always knew what tomorrow had in store, that from where we stand today, this side of tested faith, I don't know if I would have what it takes to make it through. But we know that his grace is sufficient. And, 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 and yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear the evil that is present and all around us because his rod and his staff is a comfort to us. And, and he promised to go through it with us. But Prophecy is not always predictive. It wouldn't always be helpful if we knew what the future had in store. But prophecy can also be proclamation. Everyone said proclamation. And let me show you the difference briefly. Prophecy, as we're most familiar, is foretelling in the sense that, you know, someone's predicting the future. But prophecy as proclamation is, is foretelling. So there's not a predictive nature here. But the difference is in rather than somebody coming and giving you a word and telling you about tomorrow, it's somebody realizing the gift that is in you and a holy boldness rises up and you, you, you come out of an apostolic service with confidence and full of faith and power and the Holy Ghost and, and you know what tomorrow is looking like and you know what's going to face you on the job and, and you know the circumstance and the difficulty maybe that waits you at home in an unsaved home environment and you rise up with holy bonus and begin to preach to your future. That's just as much prophecy forthtelling your future as is prophecy in the predictive nature where someone speaks a word and tells you what you didn't know about tomorrow. Prophecy is speaking or preaching to your future. One form of prophecy tells you this is going to happen, but the problem I see with, with this, we rely on this form of prophecy, is we get a word from God, and then our, our natural human nature, our tendency is to kind of lackadaisically wait, wait around. Well, God said he was going to do this, so I'm just going to sit back, and if God said it, he'll bring it to pass. And we can become nonchalant in our Christianity. Well, I'm, I'm yet holding on, and and God said this back in 1978, and it hasn't come to pass yet, but I'm still believing God. And thank God for scriptural reference in Hebrews that we, we, have, we have precedent where th there were those heroes in the faith who died in faith not having yet received the promises. And, and I believe there's a place for that. But there are some things that I believe God wants us to realize in our lifetime. I believe there are things that God has for this local assembly that were maybe spoken prophetically in times past that God doesn't intend for a generation or two to have to pass for those things to come to fruition. But I believe that if God's people will rise up and recognize the gift that is in us and stand strong upon the word of God and believe and take him at his word and begin to, pro to prophesy to tomorrow in our life and begin to, rather than waiting for God to do his thing, recognize he's given us all the power we need and begin to prophesy and to foretell our tomorrow and to say, I'm waking up tomorrow not depressed and I'm not waking up tomorrow 
tomorrow with a cloud of doubt and gloom and uncertainty about the future. But I understand the gift that is in me. And God is going to keep us and God is going to make a way where there seemed to be no way. I'm preaching about the gift that is in you. Look at your neighbor and say, you got a gift. Amen. And tonight we're in the company of an incredibly gifted group of people. And so sometimes you may be seated. We sit back waiting for God to do what he said would do. And I wonder, comically in my mind, if God is sitting back on the portals of heaven and the earth is his footstool, so he picks his foot up and puts it over on Pluto for a minute and says, you're waiting on me to move and I gave you all the power you need. That, that word power is dunamis, where we get dynamite from. And God said, I gave you my spirit. I put the creative word of life in you. When I filled you with my spirit, you inherit all power in heaven and earth. Jesus himself said, greater works than these that he did, you and I would do on the earth today. And I wonder, sometimes we're sitting back for prophecy to be fulfilled. And Jesus said, I gave you the gift. Now get up and do with what I gave you what I said you would do. I'm preaching tonight about the gift that is in us. We've got to speak to our future. Sometimes we become passive-aggressive in our Pentecostal apostolic tradition, and we kind of let one day come and let one day go and let, let come what may, and, and, and we, we kind of blame God. Well, it must not have been the will of God. But if we'd have got up a little earlier that day, and if we'd have knocked one more door, and if we'd have made one more phone call, and if we'd have put a little more effort and put a little more energy and maybe invest a little bit more of our resources, and if we would have maybe grabbed the bull by the horn, so to speak, and said, I I'm not wasting another day. I'm not wasting another moment. I'm not wasting another service. I'm not wasting another opportunity in his house to grab a hold of what there's no telling what might happen if we would seize the moment and refuse to let another hour go by, another week go by, another service slip through our hands without God having an opportunity to do what he said he would do and if you're ready to allow God to use your hands of me would you clap your hands and worship him one more time tonight there's power in the spoken word I'm sharing you with you the, the better half of prophecy in terms of speaking to our future and controlling our destiny. There is power in the word of a child of God. Amen. The creative word is the Holy Ghost. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. How many still believe that? John 1.1. 1, 1. How many believe that when you receive the spirit of God, you receive the creative word is resident inside of you? And the words we speak have life. The power of life and death is in the tongue. They're, the words we, we speak carry tremendous wave power, and that's why we got to quit talking. Uh, well, we can't afford this, and we, we can't afford that. We've got to change our vernacular. We've got to change our vocabulary. We've got to change our table talk. We've got to increase our faith and start speaking in a manner that, that's, that speaks faith and that infuses faith in our family and infuses faith into our psychology to where we believe that there's nothing too hard for God, that there's nothing he can't do, and that if he said it, he'll be faithful to perform it, and that if he spoke it in times of old and it's yet to come to pass, then if we'll roll our sleeves up and put our shoulder in hand to the plow and won't turn back that God will bring it to pass but there's power in the spoken word let me give you a very simple example how many know when the United States officially became a nation raise your hand no hands when did the United States officially become a nation raise your hand one hand you got the date my brother okay close close same dispensation. Nobody can really tell us. 
I mean, you can look at your history books, and I'll be honest, I don't remember off the top of my head either when the United States officially became a nation. But how many can tell me when we declared that we became a nation? You know, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, we celebrate Independence Day, at least some places we do, July 4th. July 4th, 1776, we declare that we became a nation. And there's a distinction there. You can't point back and say, well, it was on such and such a day we became a nation. I don't remember how many years prior it was, but there's power in the spoken word. And when we declare in the spirit, we put the spirit world on notice. We draw a definitive line in the sand and say, it may have been this way up to this point, but as of today, I'm recognizing the gift that's in me. Satan, you've been pushing me around, buffeting my family in my finance my health long enough but as of today get your ugly hands off me you have no hold on me no control over me somebody needs to recognize the power of the gift that's in you today greater is he that is in me and is in you than he that's in the world and so i believe there are spiritual gifts that are unleashed in the spirit by the spirit through prophecy through the declaration or, if I could say, preaching or proclamation of the Word of God and through the laying out of hands. And I also believe that God honors preparation. There's a lot of people, and the bigger a church grows, the, the more vast and greater variety of demographics you have, and it never amazes me. Sometimes the people that want to do the most for God, at least profess to want to do the most for God, spend the least amount of time preparing God to use them. We read about Jonah and the whale, and he was disobedient. And so God caused a storm to rise, and they threw Jonah overboard, and a great fish, the Bible says, swallowed Jonah. That's probably not going to happen in Belglade. And I wouldn't recommend swimming in the canal either. It may not be the Holy Ghost. It may just be a hungry gator. But God's not going to pick you up necessarily and make life miserable and force you to do his will. But what, by contrast, I have seen people who you would might look at the surface and judge prematurely and say, I, I just don't know, you know, they're faithful, but I don't know that God would use them. But behind the scenes and outside the service schedule, what no one was privy to is they were spending hours in devotion and time alone with Jesus and working on family members and out in the community, even when outreach wasn't scheduled. And you begin to see God unfold tremendous, beautiful things in their life. And God honors preparation. And so, if Paul told Timothy in our text, he said, neglect not the gift that is in you. Look at your neighbor and remind him, because they forgot already, and say, you've got a gift inside of you. Now, don't neglect it. Paul told Timothy, he said, neglect not the gift that is in you. If we're not careful, the blessing that God has given us can become a curse. We can walk into the church for the first time and hear the preach word of God that radically impacts and changes our life and we can see redemptive live take place in the congregation in the city I was telling senior pastor earlier the first building we were in in Oakland Tabernacle was on International Boulevard in one of the main port cities of America in a very uh, poverty-stricken area uh, crime riddled but in a short amount of time that coincided with the church being where it was. We saw incredible revitalization take care, take place in that community and millions of dollars of government grants were funded and specifically targeted for that International Boulevard and Fruitville BART Station area. And it was incredible to see the, the renovation that took place in just a short time. And, and we see that happen also in the lives of people. We see 
people coming with nothing, with not, not owning two nickels to rub together, and, and a broken marriage, or maybe a marriage pending on the rocks, and estranged family members, but they come into the presence of God, and, and the sweet spirit of God wraps his embalming embrace around them. And, and before too much time passes, we see the redemptive work of Calvary. The family put back together, and sitting on the pew together, and faithful to the house of God, and and having to walk everywhere, and God provides them a vehicle, and, and always renting, and God provides them a home when it seemed it would be impossible. We see the redemptive work of Calvary take place in their lives, and then we see that it's almost as if the preached word would stir them. And if we're not careful, it's because of the blessing I'm preaching about, the gift that is in you. And if we're not careful, the blessing of the preached word and the gifts of the Spirit that we come encounter can become a curse. And, and I'm afraid that sometimes in the apostolic church, I've seen this happen in, in multiple places. Because of the redemptive lift that takes place in the lives of people, they come to a church and they make the mistake because it was the preached word that gripped their heart, because it was the preached word that compelled them to an altar where they sold out, consecrated, repented, were baptized and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They make the mistake of exclusively associating greatness with the preaching of the word. There's nothing like the preached word of God. The word of God is incomparable. It's infallible. There's nothing like it. Thank God for a man of God. Thank God for the pastor. And thank God for the senior pastor and for the preacher in our life. Thank God for a clear sound from heaven. Thank God for the voice of God. But the problem with this and the extreme problem is that some people make the mistake of associating greatness exclusively with the pulpit. And I've seen many a young man that walked in and it's almost like a preacher religion that failed, or it's almost a form of covetousness where the preached word made a difference in their life, and so they want to be great, and they want to do something with their life, and they feel like, well, if I'm going to be great, I have to be a preacher. And I've seen great saints waste opportunities of a lifetime pursuing a calling that wasn't theirs, pursuing what they perceived to be the only path to greatness and as a result people feel like well if I'm going to be great I need to be a preacher well the problem with that is there's only so many pulpits in the church and there's so many so many scheduled services throughout the week and the month and if everybody was a preacher well who would be the congregation and who would be the usher and and who would do the music and who would greet folks when they came in and who would do follow-up and who would help wash the baptismal robes and who would make sure that pastor had handkerchiefs and the oil prepared and, and we talked about this in West Palm today that every one of us play a unique and significant role as a member of the body of Christ none of which are to be taken for granted none of which is more important than the other but God has fitly framed all of us together in one beautiful assembly but consequently the church can only become a place that we go to well if you want to be great you need to go to the apostolic church of Jesus Christ in Belgrade and so we make the mistake of associating greatness with the series of scheduled services. you got to be there Sunday morning or Sunday night or on the scheduled midweek. And we come looking for greatness and in so doing are looking for a pulpit or a platform. And we forfeit the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm preaching about the gift that is in you. Stay with me. And instead of being the church and taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives to us, every one of us in everyday life people miss out on developing greatness from the gifts that god gave them when he saved them waiting for the next chance pastor young told me the other day he said brother johannes he said there's young men in this church he said i'm gonna need your help working with them he said be patient he's like i want you to bump them he said because there's several and he named them that are always looking for an opportunity to preach and he said as long as they're itching for the pulpit they'll never get an opportunity 
Because if they're so preoccupied and focused on the pulpit to the point that they're neglecting the everyday pulpit they have on the street corner and on their nine-to-five job, if they're not telling anybody about Jesus at home, if they're living with unsaved loved ones and they never even invited their family to come to church, he said they'll never stand behind the pulpit in our congregation. And it's this kind of candor that people miss out on real opportunities for greatness. It's the gift that God gave us through the preach word that makes us great. But we must not, as Paul warned Timothy, must not neglect the gift. Everyone say, the gift that is in us. The mighty God in Christ is a revelation that we need for our salvation. But if we're going to reach a lost world, we're going to need God's help. And it's going to require all of us putting our shoulder to the plow and, and not turning back. If we're going to reach a lost world, if we're going to reach Belglade, if we're going to reach this area of Florida, then it's going to require that the church also have a revelation of the mighty God in Christ in the church. We're his hands. We're his feet. He's in the church because he lives inside of you and me. Can you say praise the Lord? And we quote Paul often in his letter to the church at Philippi. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I find strength in that. And I've found, I found confidence in that verse many a time. But if we're not careful, we can shy away from the responsibility that verse infers. Because if I can do all things through Christ, then the inverse reality then, I have to admit, is Christ has to be able to do all things for me. I'm preaching about the gift. Everyone say the gift. The gift that is in us. If we're going to fulfill our purpose and reach our world, we can't afford to employ the gift that is in us part-time. But I believe that God wants to use the testimony and the tools of our life experiences, of your personalities, the education maybe that you have, or your current occupation, the location, exactly where God has you physically, emotionally, financially, and spiritually. God has you there, ma'am. God has you there, sir, on purpose. And He wants to get the glory out of your circumstance. It's part of the gifts that God gave you. And I hurry, and if you allow me to revisit our text. In our opening text, we read about a man named Stephen. And we read, excuse me, in the book of Acts chapter 6 and 7, a little bit about Stephen, enough to where we think we know him. But as we continue reading about Stephen, whose reputation was that he was an honest man, he was full of faith and full of the power of the Holy Ghost, God's grace or God's gifting. We think we know Stephen. So we read a little bit more about Stephen and his capstone message, if you will, comprising almost two chapters in the New Testament. And we think we know Stephen because of an ordinary man named Stephen in the Bible who developed the gift that was in him. The Bible says that the word of God increased. And because of Stephen, we read that the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And the Bible records that those who disputed Stephen's faith were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. When Stephen was falsely accused, the Bible says that his accusers saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. We read about Stephen who performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. And we think we know Stephen. And if we casually read the account, the Bible has we read about Stephen being stoned to death while preaching. We think of Stephen as a martyr of the gospel, and indeed he was. We think, wow, what a great preacher, what a man of great conviction, willing to stand for what he believed and take stones in the face. 
But can I remind someone today that Stephen was not an ordained preacher per se or certainly not a preacher or a pastor, an evangelist in the terms that we're familiar with. Stephen did not have a pulpit. Stephen didn't have his name on a sign out front of a church building somewhere. And although Stephen preached a message that is famous and that is recorded in Holy Scripture, and though he was successful and effective as an evangelist over the course of a couple chapters, Stephen was just an ordinary man who was chosen by the church to run a business, to take care and make sure that the widows in the congregation were being fed. But he was. Don't discount the fact that Stephen was an honest man with a good reputation who was full of faith and of the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm not preaching tonight about Stephen, but I'm preaching about the gift that is in you and the gift that is in me. There's no telling today if we ever can grasp the magnitude the power the wonder that that still evades me as i try to wrap my brain around how immeasurable the gift of god's grace is that he's given so freely to every one of us there's no telling what god might do with the beautiful congregation that will unite around the realization that god has given us an incredible gift but stephen knew the scriptures and he was willing to, with conviction, stand for what he believed. And though he was stoned for what he stood for, we have what he shared that day in Scripture. Stephen must have been an incredibly compelling and convicting testimony. Stephen must have had a way with words. But remember the context for the story of Stephen. All of this happened and is recorded in the book of Acts. We're even preaching about it today because there was a faithful saint of God in the congregation. And when there were issues in the church that needed to be taken care of that would have otherwise threatened to take away pastor's time from ministry of the word. And when leadership was looking for folks with an honest report who were uh, full of the Holy Ghost and God's wisdom, there were people in the church who neglected not the gift that was in them. I'm thankful today that when, when the church is in need of something that there are faithful saints of God that are a phone call away that are a text message away that are a quick note away and whatever you need pastor whatever you need youth pastor whatever you need senior pastor will be there and when the doors are open we'll be there when church is going on we'll be there when outreach is taking place we'll be there if you need help in West Palm we'll be there thank God for faithful saints of God that aren't content just to come to church when it's convenient that aren't content just to darken the church doors and sit on a pew when it's your service schedule but you realize there's a great responsibility in a world out there that's waiting and if we could ever truly tap into the gift that's in us there's no telling what God might do in this region of North America and I close I close with this as the musicians prepare you and I today feel free to stand with me are a continuation of the book of the Acts of the Apostles I believe that if your senior pastor disagrees I stand and submitted to him today he can correct this when I'm gone, but I believe that we are a living continuation of the book of Acts today. I don't believe the last miracle recorded is in Acts 28. I don't believe that the last person raised from the dead is in the book of Acts. We saw it in Sacramento two years ago. A couple of brethren were fishing, and they saw something bobbing in the water, and they paddled over their little bass fishing boat and looked over to find an elderly woman bent over, under completely submerged, bobbing up and down in the lake. Come to find out the paramedic said she'd been dead for at least three hours, but they placed their hands upon them. This was Danny Walker and John Allen. I can give you 
you their phone numbers. They're not preachers of the gospel per se. They'll never stand behind a pulpit. But I can tell you what they are. They're two faithful saints of God, two faithful pillars in the church who understood and neglected not the gift that was in them. And let me tell you, they pulled that lady out of the water and they laid their hands on her and they said, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And let me tell you, in a moment, her eyes began to flutter. They began to compress the water out of her lungs and she lived. I'm not preaching about some televangelist somewhere with a fictitious name and ministry logo. I'm talking about faithful saints of God who neglected not the gift but recognized there's a gift inside of me. And that gift I'm preaching about is the gift in you. And it's a gift in me. You can be 14 years old. You can confound the doctor with your gift. You can be 21 years old, broke, single, and with seemingly no hope. But if you recognize the gift in you, you can lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. You can walk on a Drink any deadly thing and it will not hurt you. I'm preaching about the gift. Someone shout the gift. That is in us today. Musicians, give them hope. Begin to play. Every one of us are apostles. In the sense, an apostle is one who is sent. And we're all sent today by the Great Commission. Jesus said go. He didn't say go if you hold an ordination with a specific organization. He didn't say go if you're a preacher of the gospel. He told his disciples, go. Go ye therefore. Every one of us are sent by the Great Commission. We were commanded to go. We're apostles every day from 8 to 5 on our job site, wherever you're at. We're not just doing our job. And if we ever really get that, that we're not just a carpenter we're not just a plumber we're not just a day trader we're not just a car salesman but you're an apostle of that used say used car lot you're an apostle and a missionary to your occupation where god has you and what a greater harvest than where we spend most of our time every day amen we're an extension of the book of acts revival and in acts 758 the bible said they cast stephen out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses remained standing, laid his garments, Stephen's garments, down at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And just 45 verses later in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 3, the Bible tells us that Saul, who consented unto Stephen's death, who watched him be stoned for the gospel that he was preaching, and who we read about later, was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, and I quote, making havoc of the church. It was this same man, this very Saul, who received a revelation of the mighty God in Christ on his way to Damascus. And it could be that even as Stephen died, Stephen's testimony could have initiated the conversion process for this Saul of Tarsus. A man named Saul that you and I are better acquainted with as the Apostle Paul. They may never read about some of us. In fact, the very reason I'm preaching in Florida today was because of an evangelist who had a vision 14 years ago and spoke in the life of a 17-year-old man in search of direction for his ministry. And in that vision, he saw a great big ball of fire symbolic of Holy Ghost outpouring hit the continent of North America and when it hit North America proper it dissipated into thousands of places across the region 
And the evangelist began to call the young preachers in that congregation towards the front. And he said, I want you to begin to pray. And the Holy Ghost is going to begin to impress a region of our nation upon your heart. And I'm going to pass the microphone around. And I want you to share as a confirmation to the Holy Ghost the region that God has placed upon your heart. Needless to say, 14 years ago, God placed a burden for Florida in my heart. And, and other cities and, and regions of our great nation were mentioned that day. And out of that, a map was put in our church prayer room. And there was push pins placed on the various respective cities. One of the things the evangelist said when this fireball just, just was distributed across America, he said, God is going to do a great work in the end times using people that you and I will never know. We'll never read their names on a conference schedule. We'll never see their names scrolling on a grand marquee somewhere. And just like we read in our opening text about Stephen, who was one of seven, you can't even remember the names of the other six. And you, can't, you can search your Bible and you'll find very little, if anything, by way of a biography about the other six men, the Bible tells us, who also were of a good report and full of faith and full of the power of the Holy Ghost. But they had neglected not the gift that was in them. They recognized that God had gifted them. And when there arose a need in the church, and the ministry was in need of support, and in, in need of an extension, and in need of care, that there was resident within the body of Christ people who had neglected not the gift that was in them. And when the need arose, they could point and say, Brother so-and-so, could you help us here? And he would rise to the occasion. And it is this caliber of a man that we're preaching about today this Stephen, who if he would have neglected the gift that was in him, it is very possible that the Apostle Paul would never have had a conversion experience. My point in conclusion tonight is we can't afford in this last day to neglect the gift that God has given to us. They may never read about us. There won't be scripture written about you and me, but there's no telling what God will do if we'll continue to make ourselves available. God doesn't look, He's not interested necessarily in ability other than your availability, our openness, our willingness. And you know I did a study on that word. Availability implies more than just time or resources that we make available to God. But did you know that your availability is your ability to avail? And to avail means to overcome. And it could be that you're in a situation right now that you need a way out. You're looking for a way of escape. And if we're not careful, life can become so busy that we're too busy for the things and the work of God. It could be that your ability to overcome, to avail in that situation, comes through your availability. So you're saying, God, whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. God, I know you called me. It may have been five years, it may have been 14 years, it may have been three months but I know you called me. And when you filled me with your spirit, I know that you, you did more than just do a work in me to save me, but that you called me for a purpose. There's no telling what God will do. I want to open this altar at this time, and my first appeal will be to those who've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I am thrilled to hear that tonight we have somebody who will be baptized in the name of Jesus to have their sins forever remitted in that precious name. But I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I would invite you to come and receive this free gift that God has for you. You can leave this place today. If you'll come down to the front, raise your hands as a sign of surrender. God promises to give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a free gift that you and I couldn't do anything to deserve. 
There, there's nothing we could do to barter, to negotiate. But God, He wants to give it to you. It's a promise for whosoever will. It's for you, for your children, for your children's children, to all them that are far off. And my second altar appeal, if you need the Holy Ghost, you're not going to come alone, but we're a family today. I wonder if there's any saints of God who, truth be told, have seen your pastor Feld could tell the story and share your testimony. Today, you're a man of God. You're a woman of God who is full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost and of power. And you've kept a good report. But maybe you've been neglecting the gift that is in you, taking it for granted, writing it only as a ticket for salvation. But I pray the Holy Ghost would awaken an awareness in every one of us today that God did more when He gave us a Holy Ghost than save us. But He's given us a gift, a precious gift, a gift He wants us to share with this world. Would you come and join me around the front? Would we begin to worship Jesus together? And could we, if nothing else, maybe you're already full of the Holy Ghost, would you thank Him for the gift? Thank Him for the gift that is in you. I believe that God will quicken. I believe that in a flash and in a moment, in someone's mind, something's going to click. You're going to recognize there's an opportunity I've been missing. There's an open door I've been passing by that I have yet to recognize. There's been an open opportunity that God has put before me to make a difference, to be a witness, to let my light shine. Don't neglect that is the gift that's in. Don't take for granted the gift that's in. Don't discount the gift that God has given every single one of us. Oh, there's an effectual and an open door in the spirit that I see before somebody this evening. And that if you'll hold to His hand and you'll follow the prompting and the leading of His spirit, He'll lead you beyond the open door into new anointing and to new opportunities, to new contacts and acquaintances, to people that are hungry, people that want the truth. Don't neglect the gift that's in you, but there's a gift that's working. The gift is at work in this house tonight. And the Holy Ghost is reminding, I did more than just give you my gift to save you, but I called you for a purpose. I have a plan for your life. I have a destiny for you. There's greatness. Young man, you don't need a pulpit in a church building. What you need to recognize is there's a hungry soul within arm's reach of you this week. What we need is more than a ministry opportunity. We need to recognize there's a lost world that needs a saving gospel message. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. Don't bypass the opportunity. God, don't do it without me, Jesus. Oh, don't do it without me, Jesus. Don't do it without me, Jesus. Oh, would you sing it with us today? Don't do it without us, Jesus. Whatever you're doing, Jesus. Whatever you're doing. Don't do it without me, Jesus. Here's one boy that's not going to neglect the gift. Here's one young lady that said, I'm not neglecting the gift. But God, whatever you're doing today, whatever you're doing in Bell Glade today, whatever you're doing in Bell Glade this week, Jesus, let me be a part. Let me be a part. Don't do it without me, Lord. Don't do it without me.